All right. Well, good evening. It's wonderful to see all of you back and um, had a great afternoon. And so just, uh, again, awesome to see the Blackfords. I was looking forward to seeing you guys tonight. It's so cool that Brandon got ordained today. And so I know you guys wouldn't miss that for the world. And uh, I was telling everybody earlier this morning, just thinking back all the years and even being in youth group and that with Brandon and Emily, it's so cool to see just all these years later, every one of you guys serving God and being faithful. And so, I mean, that is encouraging. And isn't that what we want? You know, that the whole point of this is so these other generations would continue to serve the Lord. So um, that's why I was a little bit like, what? When I heard like Madison's graduating and some of these others, uh, uh, Sophie's graduating, I thought, oh, they're not allowed to. So pretty incredible. But uh, we do have a handout for you tonight. And so we'll do this. Because we're going to Culver's, I'll... Um, uh, you can feel free, you know, we'll all hang out afterwards, so I won't do a bunch of chit-chat before the message right now, but if you didn't get a handout, if you would, just raise your hand as those guys make their way back, and again, if you're joining us by way of live stream, uh, welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you're tuning in for the first time, I hope that you will tune back in again for when Pastor Jim Alter is here, um, but again, I'm very, just uh, super thankful for this opportunity. I know it's been about two years since I had been here. And, um, again, tried to come back last year, but, you know, COVID-19, all that disrupted some of those plans. And so I hope, and I don't intend for it to be another two years before I get back again, uh, but we'll try to keep it where we're seeing you guys and text you pictures of the girls and all that fun stuff. So tonight, uh, let's, so let's just dive right in. And so let's pray and then we'll talk more about this. Lord, uh, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for your word, for what you have provided for us here. Uh, thank you for the a uh, multitude of witnesses that you've given us in your word. I pray you'd help us to understand the significance of that tonight. Um, I'm praying ask for Pastor Alter that you'd help him as he travels, and thank you for Brandon's ordination this week. And God, we love you. I pray you'd help us to serve you better this week and just to be uh, more grounded and settled in serving you. Love you tonight. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I mentioned it this morning, but for those of you that uh, weren't able to be here, um, and just coming back and, and seeing here, and I didn't mention this, I mean, the facilities are just beautiful. And there are even some things that have been finished off and a little changed uh, since I was here last for the grand opening two years ago. And so um, I love uh, in the fellowship hall, that wooden wall, that's awesome. And I heard that Ed built that and Kevin helped. No, I heard that Kevin did a great job with that. And uh, it just looks beautiful. And the facilities here, I mean, you guys are set up for ministry. It's so cool. And that's one of the things that God has blessed us tremendously with in Austin there at Trinity is uh, the church is in like a business park area. We're just north of downtown. And, you know, the church, the church has been around for over 60 some years. It's maybe just a little younger than this church um, where I know you guys are. You're approaching the 70 year mark, right? Is the 70th anniversary coming up? We didn't hit that yet, I don't think, did we? But anyway, um, we're just a little bit younger than you guys are, and the first pastor that was there was there for decades, and the pastor that's there now, Pastor Dusty, he's been there for four years, and just a great guy, loves the Bible, believes the Word, preaches the Bible, and it's just such a great place to be plugged into ministry, and our auditorium would probably seat anywhere from three to 350, you know, uh, we're running around 150, and so I can't wait to see what God does, and I, I said it this morning, and then I thought about that, I'm like, not just can't wait to see what God does. God's done an ama amazing stuff through that church in its history. 
Um, and so I'm just kind of coming in, you know, like, like some of you, maybe you're newer here at Grace Baptist and you're just getting plugged in and man, this is the place to get plugged in. And so, um, stay faithful, stay at it. Uh, so I'm excited to see though, what the Lord has for us in Austin and, uh, getting to witness and, and be in a location like Austin and be like, if you took this church and put it in, smack dab in the middle of Columbus, uh, we're never going to run out of people to witness to. And there are different languages and different ethnicities, and um, I love it. We've got a family from, they're uh, native to El Salvador in our church. They remind me of, um, but anyway, they're from El Salvador, and I love I love practicing my Spanish with them. That's fun. And they're a sweet couple. They would be in their 60s, you know, and just so many precious people. And it's just neat the way God knits your, uh, knits your heart with different people that you get involved in. And I know those of you guys that go to camp, some of these other churches, and we've got a family here tonight from one of the churches that goes to camp with you guys. Uh, it's just neat to, to see other people out there living and serving for the Lord. But uh, tonight, um, let's look at Numbers 35 and verse 30. And I want to talk to you tonight about the principle of witnesses, the principle of witnesses. And this is going to be a bit more like I know you guys are used to in-depth Bible study. So my hope is the first half of this to be a bit more running scriptures and references, building uh, the principle and looking at what God has established more in a Bible study setting. And then we'll make some notes of application. So Numbers 35 and verse number 30. And I do have that on your handout, but go ahead and turn there in case I... We'll look here and see if there's some other verses around it we want to read. Did we pray? I think we did. We did? Okay, all the spiritual people are going, yeah, we did. Okay. Uh, Numbers 35. I might need to pray again. All right, Numbers 35, 30. The Bible says, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. Notice that's plural. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. So I want you to think about this for a moment. God puts such weight and significance on eyewitness testimony. So much so that in the scriptures, now he didn't leave it to just one person. You know, this isn't uh, my word against his word. And so he needs to be put to death. This was, if there was more than one witness of a situation where somebody was killed, uh, as you look through the different, um, uh, you know, God provided provisions, if there was manslaughter versus cold-blooded murder. And in the scriptures, if you had somebody that witnessed a murder, they would, uh, their, their testimony carries so much significance that it could help bring about someone else's execution. It's very interesting. So look with me if you would. Um, We read Numbers 3530. So by way of introduction, the word witness, the actual definition is, it's a testimony. It's an uh, attestation of a fact or event that which furnishes evidence or proof, right? So that's the definition. And then the principle of witnesses, the mouth of two or three witnesses was required Look at how many times in the Old Testament the mouth of two or three witnesses was required, okay, to bring about judgment. So we just read Numbers 35.30, and that says witnesses, plural is used. Look with me at Deuteronomy 17.6. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy 17, 6, the Bible says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. Okay? Now, um, look at Deuteronomy. Go ahead and jump to chapter... No, it does say it here. Look at uh, verse number 7. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, show, so shall, uh, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. Now, so in the Old Testament, we understand this is God's, uh, this is, these are God's laws for the Jewish people. And God said that if somebody was worthy to die, so that's letting us know that man is capable of performing an act that is worthy of him forfeiting his life. That's very interesting, right? And, What's interesting about the way to the witnesses on the witness side of it is if you speak up and you're a witness against somebody that is worthy of death, you're going to be one of the first ones to be casting the stone or to be participate, like to, to, to take care of that person here under God's law being, uh, having their life taken. You see, that's a very serious thing, right? And so look at Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. And as you're turning there, I have uh, see John 8. Uh, we're not going to turn there, but I mentioned it this morning. When Jesus, when the Pharisees brought in the woman caught in adultery, this is one of the reasons Jesus said the first one that's without sin cast the first stone. So he was kind of a, you know, again, he was, uh, Jesus was always, Jesus was never in violation of the Old Testament law. That's fascinating. And so Jesus always uh, would appeal to that law, and he said, okay, if you want to, you guys want to play that game, then you, you guys start casting the first stone. And then what happened? None of them did. They walked out because they knew that they were not, uh, there were some things that they had broken that deserved punishment. Ver, uh, so Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 here, the Bible says, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong. So this is interesting. What we're about to read is the provision where, okay, well, what if people start lying about you? Has that ever happened? Yeah. Does God know that's going to happen? Yeah, does God know human nature? Yeah, Jesus knows our hearts, doesn't he? And so he makes provision here that if people begin to, a false witness rise up, verse 17, then both men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. So do you see, under God's law in the Old Testament for the Jews, there were very serious consequences for wrong actions. And, you know, in Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know, and so you got people doing crazy stuff nowadays because it's not really any repercussions. You know, maybe they get put in jail for a few days and then, you know, they get probated out or, or they get bailed out or they, you know, it's just, uh, but we're not going to get into all that tonight. It's just simply to see that God is establishing, there's a principle that two or three witnesses could testify to something that's true and you can set it down in stone that's true. 
And there was a weight, there was significance to being a, there was a responsibility to being a witness. And if you were found to be a false witness, God said, hey, guys, if you have a couple of guys that are in a disagreement with one another, you need to make diligent inquisition. So how many of you have ever, how many of you parents have ever made diligent inquisition with your children? And they're like, and you go, hey, do you know what? What happened over here? And you just start letting them talk. <laughs> I don't know. She was in there, <laughs> you know, and, and the more that a liar talks, what happens? They start getting caught in the webs of their lies, right? And I know we have some different law enforcement in that in the church, and, you know, you guys are trained in all that cool. That'd be a cool thing, cool tactic to be, you know, uh, trained in is interrogation, you know, knowing what people are thinking and how to chess move them in a conversation to get them to fess up, you know, that kind of stuff. But God said, hey, make diligent inquisition. You asked people long enough, one of these guys, one of their stories is not going to line up and you'll know who's lying. So you have this principle of witnesses. So God had protection against false witness. Um, and that protection was to make diligent inquiry of both because any liar will get tangled up long if he talks long enough. Um, number two, so we have the principle of witnesses. You get that? There's that Old Testament principle. Now let's check out the practice of witnesses throughout the scriptures. Are there biblical examples of God bringing truth to light through two or three witnesses? Well, let's check these out. Um, Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and we're actually not going to go there. Cause again, we mentioned it. Uh, hopefully you're familiar with that in John eight, the Pharisees bring to the Lord, a woman caught in adultery. And he says, uh, so, and he alludes to, um, the fact that if they want to start casting the first stone, they can. And so you have that principle there. Look, so we're going to move on to letter B. This is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Go with me to Matthew 17, if you would. Matthew 17. Oh, you know what? Let's do this. Um, I glossed over something in John 8. I do want to go look at the John 8 illustration. So go to John 8 with me, if you would. There is a part in here I didn't want to skip. So John chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees here and verse number 13. Uh, let's go back to verse 12. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. Now just stop there for a moment. Isn't that cool about God? God can be the only witness to something, and he's going to bear true record. God, God's ultimate truth, he is uh, and cannot, he, God cannot lie. Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go. <laughs> That's so great. Jesus knew that he had left that throne. And so he's like, okay, yeah, you guys, I'll play your little game, all right? Though I bear record of myself, my record is true because I know where how I got here. But let's play your little game, all right? So he says, verse number, uh, continue in verse 14, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. So right there, teenagers, that's 
Jesus like total mic drop moment, right? So it is fascinating, and it's fascinating. It's always fascinating when you see the Lord interacting with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees, you know, they just knew the law in their heads, didn't they? And they questioned him, and they asked him, but he knew what was in their hearts. And so he says, we'll, we'll play this little game. It's written that there's testimony of two witnesses, so how about this, guys, me and my father? Pretty cool. So Jesus, he, uh, he uh, gives us an illustration there of this practice of two or three witnesses. Uh, what about on the Mount of Transfiguration? Many of you, you're familiar with that. So now let's go to Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17, and the Bible says, and after six days, Jesus taketh who? Peter and James and John. So how many we got? Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them apart into a high mountain and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. I think it's interesting on that side of it. He's got two witnesses there. And on this earthly side of it, he's got Peter, James, and John. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And you know uh, the the rest of that passage where uh, God the Father says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Peter, shh, be quiet, right? And so you have Peter, James, and John. Now notice the Holy Spirit's commentary in Second Peter about this event. So let's go to Second Peter. And again, uh, many of you that have been here and you've done Bible study, uh, especially when it comes to studying bibliology, the, the study of the Bible and the Word of God. This is a critical passage, this is a key passage on the authority of God's word in our lives. God's word is more authoritative than my feelings. It's more authoritative than my experiences. And this is one of the passages that shows us why. Second Peter chapter uh, 1 and verse 16. The scripture here says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So there were three guys on the earth side of that transfiguration that could testify of the voice they heard. It was Peter, James, and John, right? And in verse 19, he says, and we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not at all time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in the Old Testament, we have this principle that God establishes this principle of witnesses. If you have two or three, then you can bring about and understand the truth. And so Jesus deals with the Pharisees in an example. He brings Peter, James, and John to be eyewitnesses of his majesty with that example. Then um, look at how Jesus deals with the Godhead. I think it says Jesus dealing with us. I'm, I'm not sure I totally labeled that point in this outline great. But uh, go to 1 John chapter 5 and we'll get uh, we'll see what the scripture says. 1 John chapter 5 in verse number 8. Uh, let's go into verse number 
Let's go to verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, and God, had God established that principle in the Old Testament? Yeah, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And the people said, Amen. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so what we see here is you have the Godhead giving testimony to the fact and truth of who Jesus Christ is and who God is. The Father, uh, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. So that's another example. And then look at Revelation 11, verse 3. So God establishes this principle of witnesses. And then there are different examples where God gives us examples of truth um, and that, that, that principle being followed. And here in Revelation chapter 3, or sorry, Revelation chapter 11, here this is uh, the, that time of great tribulation. And before God brings in his wrath, he's going to do something very special for the world and for the nation of Israel. Look here to Revelation 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. For the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread under uh, foot 40 and two months. So that's that three and a half year um, uh, wrath there during the tribulation. And I will give power unto my what? Two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two candlesticks and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And now just because this is very fascinating and the Bible's never boring. Let's read verse five. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their what? testimony. Why? Because they're witnesses. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and nations and uh, tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and in half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. And so think about this for a moment. God's before God totally unleashes that 42 months of judgment, he said, I'm going to send two guys. And they're going to start preaching. They're, they're going to start preaching. They actually start preaching the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And 
they are not received well by the world. And so the Bible says, if any man tries to kill them, they just breathe out fire. I mean, man, talk about some heartburn. That's bad. But no, they just breathe out fire and they kill these guys. And the Bible says, if they try to touch them, you must in that manner be killed. Man, that's a burn. Oh, okay. We digress, right? But it's bad for these people. But that beast comes up and kills them. And look at what happens. And they that dwell upon the face of the, uh, upon the earth, verse 10, rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So because of these two prophets, I heard of one preacher say it, they're, they're going to have a merry death miss. And they're going to institute merry death miss because these guys, these, these nuisances, these preachers, these two prophets that we didn't like what they were saying, finally, these guys are dead. Let's send gifts one to another. Merry Deathmas. Heard one guy say it that way. But God always has the final word, doesn't he? Verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. You think? It's incredible. You say, well, how's that going to happen? How did God breathe into dust, man's nostrils, the breath of life, and man become a living soul? It's a miracle. God is fully capable of raising these guys from the dead. So the spirit of life comes into them, uh, stands them on their feet. Great fear fell upon them. Verse 12, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And then what happens is the same hour was there a great earthquake. And verse 14 says the second woe was passed. And then more of these judgments continue to be unleashed. So it's interesting. I'm just saying it's interesting. God establishes this principle for his people, this two or three witnesses, to bring uh, to, to show the evidence of truth. And then God practices that in different examples here that we've looked at in Scripture. So... Let's go and see if we can just kind of make some practical application there with the significance then of these witnesses. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we'll try to make some just practical application for us. Hebrews chapter 11. And the third point tonight is simply this, the prominence of witnesses in Hebrews, it's actually Hebrews 12, but we'll look here all through these. Um, so let's do this. Let's read, let's read chapter 12, verse 1, and then we'll go back into verse chapter 11. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with two witnesses, let us lay aside, is that what God says? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with three witnesses, is that what God says? I want you to think about this for a moment. What is the point of verse 1 and 2? The point of verse 1 and 2 is that there is a great cloud of witnesses that you and I can look to that should encourage us to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily beset us and run with patience the race that God has set before us. And that there's so many witnesses that God, that have come before that we ought to, like them, 
take courage from their stories and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who, who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame of the cross. He despised, uh, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when it came to dealing with the Pharisees, God gave them two, three witnesses, right? When it came to talking about the Godhead, there were three witnesses, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. When God was getting ready and, and, and trying to call people back to repentance during that great wrath and the tribulation, God sends two witnesses. But when it comes to God desiring to encourage you to live the Christian life and stay faithfully, stay faithful, God begins to tell us, Hebrews 11, verse number one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained right, that, a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and he, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And so let's take for a moment and think about, you take Abel, and the Bible says that even now, I think it's in 1 John, God says that even now that the, the sons of God, we are so uh, in conflict with this world, the way that Cain was against Abel. And so Abel, obtaining witness that he was righteous, the Bible says, by it, he being dead, yet speaketh, that he, uh, that he offered to God the sacrifice of blood. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Abel is a testimony to God's faithfulness, righteousness, God's sacrifice. Um, by faith, Enoch was translated. And as New Testament Christians, we're able to look back at Enoch and see that he's a picture of the church going up out of here. That there's coming a day which God is just going to take us up and we're going to be not because he took us. And then you get into um, verse number uh, seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God as things is not seen yet, moved with the fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So Noah, by faith, built that boat, got into it and was saved through judgment. Just like you and I hear the gospel as New Testament Christians in this age, we hear the gospel, we trust Christ by faith as our savior, and we are saved from a future judgment of a lake of fire forever. We're saved from that. Then you go by faith, Abraham, and Abraham believed God, the Bible says, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And, and he, he just trusted God. And then do you remember when Sarah, she found out that, uh, you know, the, the, the Lord and the two angels are outside the tent talking to Abraham and they say, Hey, we're going to return according to the time of life. Sarah's going to have a son. And what does she do? What did she say about what she did? No, I didn't do that. And the Lord and his graciousness doesn't just say, okay, Sarah, you're going to laugh about me bringing you a son of promise. I'll move on to somebody else. God doesn't do that. He says, no, but you did laugh, but I will return according to the time of life. And what does God do? God gives them Isaac, that son of promise. And so here the, the list continues to go through of people uh, like uh, Rahab. And you've got in verse 20, Isaac and Jacob and how God does an amazing work through them. Joseph. Oh, good night. We could, you know, you could spend all kinds of time talking about Joseph and, um, and the, the, the different, man, trials. You want to talk about trials of faith. 
try doing what's right, having somebody falsely accuse you of forcing a woman and then landing yourself in jail for two years. And what's wild is, you know, sometimes we read, I was talking with Justin about this last night, you know, we read the Bible and we can read through uh, Joseph's story and we're like, oh, that's cool. You know, he got out after two years. Do you realize Joseph had no idea until that day, what, 365 times two, whatever, whatever day that was, after two years. He, he didn't know until that day that he was getting out. And not only that, but he had the false glimmer of hope, right? The butler and the baker, not the candlestick maker, but the butler and the baker end up in jail with him. And they both have dreams and he interprets those dreams. And he's like, uh, dude, you're going to get restored. Um, not so much for you, right? And it turns out uh, bad for that one. But he says, hey, when you get restored, remember me. Tell the king, hey, that I helped you out. What happens? He gets, he's forgotten. And so he has that false glimmer of hope. And the whole time, he, he, he cannot see two feet in front of him. But yet what God has done for us is he has given human beings, just people. These were just people in the Bible that God did great and mighty works through. And so much so that it comes down to, when you look in Hebrews chapter, uh, let's go to verse number Uh, you know, go to verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect into the recompense of the reward. And so you look at a guy like Moses that could have had so much in this world, but he said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to live for God, is what he wanted to do. Uh, verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, and they were compassed about seven days. <laughs> Here's the battle plan, guys. All right, how are we going to take that city? We're going to march around it seven days. And on the seventh day, how many times are you going to march around it? Seven times. And that seems about as silly as, you know, VeggieTales makes it, you know. You'll see, walking around these walls will bring the city to his knees. You know, a little zivinito French pea. And yet, uh, the Bible says, God says in Romans, the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And say, you say, God, how are we going to reach all these people? Well, um, I created this thing called a local church. So what happens is every believer that gets baptized, I'm baptizing them into the church, but the physical representation of that is going to be, they're going to identify with the body of doctrine through baptism in water, being fully immersed. And then you're also, there's this ordinance that you're going to observe that's going to show my death till I come, where you take an unleavened, you know, the little unleavened bread and the grape juice, and it's just a good picture. And you're going to show my death till I come. Is it really that important? Yes. Yes, it is. And there are people that have died for those ordinances. The first one being Jesus Christ himself, who died for the church, loved it and gave himself for it. And so sometimes the world may look at it and say, hey, we got to change up this church thing and we got to change up, you know, the structure of it or the ordinances of it. And until Jesus Christ tells us to do that, we're not going to do that. 
And it may seem silly to the world, as silly as walking around Jericho for seven days, but the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There are times that God told people to do just, uh, it seemed like things that didn't make sense. Gideon, you're going to go out and you're going to take care, I think it's the Assyrians, right? How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to take a pitcher with a lamp in it. Can you imagine being Gideon? And what's so cool, you know, where did God find Gideon? He's back there in the threshing floor hiding. And the angel appears to him and says, thou mighty man of valor. I'm just telling you, the, if anybody ever calls me the man of valor, that's a person my friend. That <laughs> would be so cool that, you know, you get to heaven and God's like, thou mighty man of valor. And you're like, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So what he says about Gideon, here's this mighty man of valor. Here's the battle plan. You guys are going to surround the army. And uh, we're going to break these pictures and light the lamps. So we're going to say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And uh, it's funny, I got to watch one of the DVDs. There, there's some kind of, I can't remember the group that puts it together, but there's like cartoon DVDs that tell these Bible stories. So I was watching it with Chloe and Kate. And when the, we were watching this one with Gideon and Chloe goes, Daddy, why are they going out there with pictures? <laughs> and you know what's so funny? How many of you, your kids have ever asked you like Bible questions and you're like, yeah, I know that doesn't really make sense, but that's just what God told him to do. And that was the answer for that one. And she's like, what, why are they taking pictures and all that? And I and, but what's fun is it's also an, a learning opportunity to say, well, you know what's wild about that is it doesn't make any sense, but God told them to do that and they were faithful and look what happened. And so, you know, um, God ended up discomfitting, I think is the Bible word that, uh, that army and they started fighting each other and she, she actually laughed. You know, Chloe's one of these people that she sees people get hurt on videos and she laughs at them. You know, Diana. If you ever watch like America's Funniest Home Videos with Diana, she's laughing her head off at people getting hurt. I'm like, dude, that really hurt. And doesn't Eva do it too? Does Eva? has <laughs> a great laugh. And so Chloe, she'll laugh at people getting hurt. So when the people were fighting each other, I'm, I'm telling you, she was belly laughing. I thought, oh man, <laughs> this is great. So it was funny. She's a bit sinister. No. Um, and, uh, it's good to see Miss Laura tonight too. And I, so I told everybody, Chloe loves telling dad jokes right now. So she is a woman after my own heart. So the, where were we going with that? Uh, just that God wrote these things before time that no matter what you are going through, I'm, I'm going to tell you, okay, no matter what you are facing, there is someone in the Bible that is that has gone or will go is that has gone through what you are going through. There are witnesses in here of God's testimony and God's faithfulness that you and I need to run to in those dark moments, in those dark times when we don't know what's going on, when the lights go out. Um, we just have to stay connected to God in the scriptures, man, when it all falls apart, when it goes wrong, because there are people in the Bible that face the same thing. And, you know, uh, I just can't help but think about Job. And when you come to Job, I think it's chapter 2 or chapter 3. Okay, first of all, he's got to bury 10 of his kids. All 10 of them. Gone. His livelihood, gone. His finances, gone. And then his wife says, oh, you need to curse God and die is what you need to do. And in all of that, that's bad, right? But sometimes it gets worse. And for Job, it did. And so then these, he's got these boils. And the Bible says that it comes to the point where with those boils that he sat down in the ashes and began to cut himself with a potsherd. 
So I want you to think about Job got to the place in his life where the only, the, the next step, the next thing he could physically do is just try to get some relief by cutting those boils. That, I, I can't imagine. And those are, there, there are some of you in here that have gone through horrible, horrible things. And when you go to Job, it's like you actually find somebody that might, that actually you're like, wow, I guess that is worse than my situation. And yet through it all, God brings him through that. And the Bible says in James that you have seen the end of the Lord. You've seen the patience of Job. And you've seen the end of the Lord. And, and that God is a merciful and pitiful God. And, and you know what? Let's just go ahead and end with this. Go to, go to James. We're here in Hebrews. Look at James chapter. I think it's James chapter 5. Yeah, look at, look at James chapter 5 and verse 11. And there, you know, obviously James is kind of the prophetic, uh, view of that book is, is, you know, uh, Hebrews during the tribulation being persecuted, facing that persecution. And he's telling them, man, hang on, hang on, cause Jesus is coming. Stay alive. And you guys have studied that, you know, James 5.11, behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And, you know, you guys have studied the Bible. What happens for Job at the end? How does the, how does the whole book end? He gets 10 other children, right? And he gets double what he had before. And you and I see, like, all in one setting, you know, all in a week, we can read that story and we get to the end and we're like, yeah, happy ending. But how long was that for Job? And see, some of you are in a crisis right now. Some of you are in a situation where you're like, how long, Lord? How long? And man, it seems so long to us down here, doesn't it? And, and I'm just reminded, and there are just times when God is so encouraging because you know the verse, he says, for our light affliction. And there are times I want to say, God, this affliction is not very light. It doesn't feel that way. And some of you have been there where you have this burden, this affliction, and you don't feel that way. But God says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, you say, God, it doesn't feel like a moment. It feels like eternity. But that's where God is trying to help you get an eternal perspective and say, your light affliction, which is but for a moment, doth work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Boy, God knows how to spin a phrase. God doesn't just say, hey, I'm working this for your glory. I'm working this for an, a weight of glory. I'm working this for a, an, an exceeding weight of glory. I'm working this for an eternal exceeding weight of glory. He says, man, that what, what, what you are going through, it is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of of glory, and when you and I stand before Jesus Christ, we'll finally understand. Because when you think about God communicating truth to us, it's not that God doesn't run, it's not that God ran out of words, it's God's putting words after word after word to help you to see how far surpassing, exceeding the eternal weight of glory is going to be if we will trust Him and do what we know we're supposed to do and just be faithful and let Him strengthen you and encourage you. And um, I want to thank every single one of you that, 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 
pray for me, and I thank you for that. And I know so many of you do faithfully, man, and I pray for you guys too. And I just want to let you know that God is so, there is no one like him. There is no one like God. There is no one that can help you out of the depths of despair and hurt like our God. There's no one that knows the intricacies and the details of your thoughts and your emotions and your personality and your idiosyncrasies and the thoughts and the specific fears that you have that can answer prayer the way that our God does and then just stand back and you go, God, no one knew what I was going through in that situation but you. And there's, because there's a time, I, I know it, and man, we ought to, in a local church, we ought to depend on one another to encourage and strengthen one another and call and text. But sometimes, and you've, I know some of you have been in the situation where the texts, the calls, you can't text anymore. You can't call anymore. And some of you know what I'm talking about in the sense that there's not that help. And in those moments, I'm saying in those moments, God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So you be strong and of a good courage. Fear thou not, neither be dismayed. And so when I come to the Bible and I see this principle of God laying out these two or three witnesses, and then I come to Hebrews and I'm like, well, this, this chapter's chock full of a bunch of people that went through hard times and difficulties, but yet they made the right choices. Can I just implore you to, in your deepest, darkest moment, just go back and find somebody in this book that had the hurt that you hurt, that had the, the prayer that you need to pray. Man, I got to tell you, there's some prayers I've seen in here that I'm like, yo, yes. And you don't even know what to say, but somebody's been through that. And so God gave us that witness so that you will keep going and that you might look at your affliction, not from your standpoint, where it looks so big and dark and daunting, where you get up above that and you see how great and holy and mighty God is, where God says, you want to know what? I'm going to bring you through this. And your light affliction, which is but for a moment, doth work for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And man, we just stand in awe of God and say, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your help. And God, I, I know that in my heart, I wish I could communicate better just who you are. And Lord, I pray that uh, tonight that these folks would be encouraged and challenged to just...